1: I'm a nerd overdrive,
0: I will always survive Bad boy, Feel so alive watching Babylon 5 to be a boy Okay, so let me know when you start recording because I, I do have I'm a conversation recorded. to roll up Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting So I caught up a little bit not as much as I need to but uh, on Avengers No Surrender and yep. okay, so the character that everyone forgot Right What's her name? Um, uh
2: it starts with a V. Um, da, 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 da.
0: Okay, even if I go this, regardless, what yeah. was so amazingly clever is how you had her disappear from the timeline, fighting against the Squadron Sinister, right? And the ver- the character in the Squadron Sinister that got erased from the timeline as well was the analog to. Victory from the Justice League Tax Task Force in the '90s, who had exactly the same origin. He had he had disappeared from the timeline, and everyone forgot that he was a founding member of the Justice League.
2: Interesting. That's
0: how clever and nerdy Mark Wade is. <laughs> I was like, wow, we've never heard of that member of the Squadron Sinister. Uh, I looked at it just like, and the costumes almost identical, except the, the Squadron Sinister one is masked. And I went. And I thought that was a brilliant touch, going back into a twenty-year-old or so uh, Justice League story to pull that and, and to to use that as the MacGuffin for why that why this new character is out of continuity.
2: Voyager, Voyager,
0: yeah. yeah. So who I'm enjoying it. I'm just, I, I
2: thought her coloring. The one critique I had of her, I think her coloring and kind of stature is a little too much like Sentry. Who has fairly much the same same Mac- yeah. MacGuffin kind of thing? Yeah, with, yeah. You know, nobody remembers because he had to erase himself from um, right everybody's mind.
0: Right, I think Victory ended up uh, sacrificing himself in Un- Underworld Unleashed. He had oh, one wow. of the can- the candles yeah. from Neron, and he realized he could either become the greatest hero of all time, or the Justice League could live basically. So rather than then finally, cause he was a really selfish character. Yeah. And then finally it chose not to sack, it chose to sacrifice himself and finally be selfless. The irony of having the, being able to sell the soul. So, uh, for that's how he became the greatest hero by being selfless. So anyway, it was a, you know, I just thought that was, that was really clever. And now that I'm catching up and enjoying the, the Avengers, no surrender event. And, you know,
2: I think it's I, one of the better events they've had in a while.
0: Um Yeah, no, really enjoying that and uh catching up on uh I just finished it was nominated. I read the first six issues of Black Bolt. And ah, good. I, I do see that uh, you know, that's that's worthy of a nomination. It's interesting, it's uh it's a good good reset. I'm um, not crazy. <laughs> what? I'm not crazy. Yeah. No, that's not proof, but uh <laughs> We're doing a podcast. We can be, you know, we're crazy, and so uh, let's go. Hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet dot com, and across the ether is at the Brett Cave, where I am not
2: Rick Brett them. Snyder.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you for producing once again, and tonight the extra level of of difficulty because not only am I on the Los Angeles side, but we even. I had a guest, uh, a guest interview that we'll be that we'll be editing in. So it was like uh, I, I'm anticipating, in our time travel way, that I have already caused you problems in the future. Oh so, yeah,
2: oh yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I've already traveled back in time to warn myself about you. Yeah. So and did it work? Yeah. No, you just, no, I'm still here. No. Yeah.
0: No. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we've got some. Uh, Comics news, we've got some movie news, we've got some TV news, and of course, uh, we just alluded to, we have a couple of interviews tonight, uh, and we we have loosely grouped around a theme of crowdfunding. But first, we actually have mail, and this actually gets gets me to follow up on, I think, two episodes ago. So this is from listener Chris Buckley, who uh, says, finally, the header was, finally some love for Scooby-Doo. And that was, I tell anyone I can that Scooby Doo Team Up is a hands down, hands down the best comic produced that isn't saga. That's <laughs> high praise. Charlie yeah. Fish, who is the writer, can't be overpraised. His experience as a VP in Sesame Workshop and his love for a Silver Age Silly makes for the perfect script for all ages month after month. And it's not just Scooby Doo Team Up. I'd argue that he's responsible for a monthly, unbroken, all ages run spanning more than a decade in DC's licensed properties starting with Super Friends, then Batman the Brave and the Bold, which I do recall buying a few issues and enjoying, Teen Titans Go, and now Scooby-Doo Team Up. Only he could flawlessly carry off a pitch-perfect Ragman Holocaust story that still also managed to stay age-appropriate. He deserves way more attention among fans than he gets.
2: It's And it, that's, a job, that's a job that isn't appreciated as much as you as as much as it should be, because it's tough writing for kids, and because, it's
0: crucial so that we get.
2: <laughs> but, no, but, but kids can tell when you're when you're talking down to them, yes. you know, and they want they want they want real stories. So, and I'm
0: going to drive you back to that Scooby Doo team up. I know you were intrigued by it. the the, ref, the reference was to an issue uh, with uh, that just came out with Angel and the Ape on yes. the cover, but no, that wasn't enough. <laughs> it was the whole thing. It was the whole shebang of the of those heroes. So this is going to make you buy it. because Go back and find it. Because it's Angel of the Ape, the Inferior Five, Stanley and his Monsters, Monster, and Sugar and Spike.
2: You had me at Inferior Five.
0: I knew I did. And there was nothing on the cover that betrayed that they were in it. And then I started reading and went, oh, and they're using uh, the Phil Foglio Continuity. Because uh, it was Phil Foglio in the '90s right. and established that that Angel and Dumb Bunny were sisters, half right. sisters, right? And so there's that re- re- relation uh, and and that that sibling rivalry that goes through uh, every member of the Inferior Five, who I miss. Good Lord, I mean, couldn't the CW find room for them? Wouldn't that be great if they showed up in an episode of The Flash? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh no yeah that would be it... yes you could I just want, you could just do it without Aaron going to go cartoony. Against
0: white feather
2: yes yes
0: <laughs> and then you know i don't I don't know who would equivalently go with awkward man but still so uh <laughs> I, I a man can dream smallville could have done it but anyway uh, so thank you thank you, Chris, for listening and and for writing in and reminding me that yes, this is a, a book. And and in the back of, of every issue they you know, they of Scooby Doo Team Up they show like the trade paperbacks they have. And it makes me think, yeah, I need to uh which I think is a brilliant move on DC's part. They've been doing that kinda of like catalogs. If you like this book, maybe you want to pick up the trade paperback. And you look at that at the the trades for Scooby Doo Team Up and think, Yeah, I would bet that every one of those is worth is worth having and rereading and enjoying, So, uh, which we're probably going to talk about a little bit more, uh, and that sensation of rereading and enjoying when we do What's in the Bag. But first we go to our top story tonight, which is crowdfunding. Uh, so we have uh, one interview from Silicon Valley Comic Con and one interview that we did just conduct, and I'm about to play for you. So, Rick, which one would you like to spin first? Let's do Brian. All right, so we just uh, we had a conversation with uh, with a gentleman, a film producer from Toronto, Canada, Mr. Brian Carver. We are uh, on this is i think this might be a first for the podcast in that we are calling from California and speaking to someone in Toronto so this is the first international uh, the first international interview we 've done uh, we're on the phone with uh, Brian Carver. Who is the producer uh, of a film that is on Indiegogo right now? Called wait, and I have to find it there where I wrote it down. Last Hit, which is a movie about uh, fighting games and esports. See if I've got this right. It's a it's basically uh, an MMA fighter who cannot compete uh, in f- in actual fighting anymore for reasons that will be explained in the film, and exactly. gets himself involved in. Uh, in esports and uh, and kind of transitioning his skills over to there and it's a comedy and I'll let you say more about it because that's sure, absolutely all
1: do. Absolutely yeah so he gets um because it's a comedy he suffers a uh uh debilitating injury in the ring it's a, a kick to the taint in the middle of a match and um he's paralyzed from the waist down as as a result of it and can't uh can't do MMA anymore so he's at the bottom sort of at the bottom of his uh of his life right he decides to take up uh, fighting games instead he joins the fighting games community which the fighting games community as i'm sure a lot of your listeners know is a sort of a subculture within a subculture of esports and they consider themselves the red-headed stepchildren the mavericks of uh of the esports community right they came out of the arcades i'll, I'll go into all that but uh but yeah so specifically games like street fighter tekken things like that and he sort of, it's a traditional, inspirational sports comedy, uh, like Rudy, right? He, uh, he faces off the villain at the end at AVO, the biggest fighting games championship in the world, and, uh, and wins and gets the girl and all that. So, but uh, it's a comedy. Wait, the ending. A, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, maybe a lot of your viewers, uh, sports comedies don't always end like that. You remember the original Rocky? Everybody forgets that Rocky lost, right? So, yeah. But yeah. We, we're doing the more traditional route, actually. Okay. and you are actually this is starring an actual mma fighter is that correct yes it is yes his name is elias theodoro uh he was our first choice he's the number one middleweight in canada and depending on ufc is not the most standardized uh um ranking system right but he's like 15 between 15 and 20 worldwide so he's quite good um but apart from being a great MMA fighter, he's also ridiculously handsome. He does romance novels uh, covers in his spare time, and um, he has a, We're going to say he was writing romance novels, which <laughs> would be
0: great. Even <laughs> better. That would, be even
1: better. That would be even better. Exactly. He's doing romance novel covers. He also got a um, he got a sponsorship with Pert shampoo because he has shoulder length hair that is like not to be believed, right? uh myself being bald especially a source of uh, some friction between us but anyway (laughs) he's got gorgeous gorgeous hair and uh the ladies love him men love him he's like the perfect this guy should be a movie star he's got sort of a a young Dwayne Johnson vibe about him right and uh yeah and he was our, our first choice we went to him he said yeah I'll do it Elias is pretty much up for anything just one of those guys so yeah we were very lucky to get him but he's also quite a good actor uh as well very very natural natural presence on screen so yeah, really, MMA fighter though. In fact, he's fighting uh, on April twenty seventh in Ireland. Sorry, Liverpool, England. Liverpool, England. Yeah, Liverpool. Well, listeners
0: will will look out for that. But now, when, yeah. uh, Brian, I'm going to go full disclosure here uh, to sure. our listeners. Brian and I used to uh, work together uh, in another life in uh, as high school teachers. And I and I, forgive me for actually blanking on this. Oh, so you were the Span, uh, Spanish teacher, right? That's
1: right. I was a Spanish teacher. Yeah, very very long time ago. Yeah, and one how
0: year. did you did we make this? It was, was it only one year that it, you made this jump from being Spanish teacher in Northern California? To mm-hmm. film producer in Toronto, Canada.
1: There's a journey. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting story to me, at least. I'll I'll keep it short for your listeners, though. I uh, yeah. So I came to Canada, and my wife and I started a film festival after we'd been here a couple of years. We're both we were both had sort of a lifelong interest in film, and I studied film and Spanish in university, so it was a natural. And uh, we decided to start a women's film festival, concerned over the the unequal representation of women in cinema and in the film industry and started a women's short film festival that went for about uh, i was the executive director for five years it's still going uh and while i was working on this film festival some uh, female filmmakers would come to me and say can you help me with my short films help find funding and i went from helping them find funding to doing the logistics and then you know you wake up one day and you're a producer right so i sort of stumbled into it actually and i really really liked it um it's not robert evans level producing it's not california the the canada the canadian film industry is a lot smaller right our average film budget is about uh about two to three million and uh but it's a lot of fun you know film is always a lot of fun it's great being on a set and and we enjoy it right and we, we try to make a living at it but yeah
0: okay and, and, so and how that, did
1: you get involved with this last hit you, you're a great screenwriter yeah, fantastic screenwriter, a gentleman named Kyle Francis. Uh, he's in his uh, in his late twenties and uh, just finished an MFA at York University. Uh, he's now a writer at Ubisoft, actually. so He writes video games. He's in the video game world. But he and I were working on some short films together, and he pitched this project. The way he tells it's very funny because uh, we were meeting at a, we were meeting for breakfast to discuss potential projects and ideas. And uh, on the way to the restaurant, he thought to himself, "Well, what about a?" What about a sports movie, like an MMA film? It's like Karate Kid in Reverse, where a guy has to learn to play video games from a, a shitty little 12 year old, right? Something like that. So, hey, <laughs> Karate Kid in Reverse sort of thing. And he said, but never pitch an idea that you just thought of. And that's exactly what he did, right? He showed up at the restaurant, he pitched the idea. I was like, that sounds really, really great. And uh, then we honed it a bit, and we looked for Elias, and uh, sort of the rest was history in progress, I guess. It's not quite history just yet. It hasn't been made, but,
0: but well, yeah, so it, it was his, it, it his idea mostly. It is crowdfunding now on Indiegogo, and, that's right. uh, so that's under The Last Hit, and yes. why did you choose to go with Indiegogo as a funding? Because this episode is kind of built around some other stories about Kickstarter and Indiegogo successes oh, and, fantastic. and things fantastic. going, so we want to make this a little what was uh, what, When was that the direction for you?
1: It was, it's, it was, two, it was two reasons, really. Uh, film funding in Canada, unlike, and uh, this is something I only learned when I got up here, Unlike the United States, but like the rest of the world, or like most of the rest of the world, there's not a studio system up in Canada. So, um, there's not these large corporations, these film studios that are financing films in-house, right, and hiring the uh, hiring the talent and distributing them, et cetera. Um, most government, or most sorry, most funding for films up here comes from several different sources. Firstly, the government. We're lucky enough to have government grants for filmmakers, and then also tax credits. And um, other things, like, there's all sorts of details I get into, which probably would be fairly boring. But uh, crowdfunding uh, SF is SF one of the green ways. green stamps. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, of green stamps. Personal savings, exactly. Like I said, we have low budgets. But, uh, but yeah, and one of the ways is crowdfunding. Crowdfunding has become very popular. Even uh, established directors like like Spike Lee have done it. I think he raised, like, $1.2 million for one of his recent projects. And we're not looking to raise anything near that. Um, we're looking to raise a little bit of money on the side. And then also, which is still very necessary, of course, but another good thing about crowdfunding is that you build a sort of pre-awareness of the project, right? Uh, you go out to, you learn how to get in touch with the community. In our case, it's the fighting games community and the MMA community. And they're aware of the project six, seven, eight months before you make it, or maybe even a year before you release it. So it's like pre-advertising. And because most of it's done on social media, it's free advertising, which is great. Uh, so that's another, another, it's promotion and money, right? Okay. Three, two things for the price of one. There you go. What, uh, what's the expert, what's the expiration? What's the length of the campaign for this? 100%? It's 30 days, which is sort of the ideal, t- the ideal length of time for a campaign. Uh, it's running from April 4th to May 4th. So there's still time for your listeners to jump in and, uh, and give us their life savings to make this project come true. So um, <laughs> not that I would suggest okay. that hint, hint anyway, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever they can give to support us, that'd be great or share it with their friends. That'd be fantastic.
0: But, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, the title of that film again is Last Hit. Last and Brian, hit. That's right. And Brian, it's been great to talk to you. And before this recording started, we did some catching up. And uh, well, now now you know it, the algorithms will work and we
1: will show up in each other's Facebook <laughs> a lot
0: more. And we'll probably find out more about each other in the years intervening. So absolutely. For time today.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the chance to talk about it, and uh, and I look forward to hearing the podcast. So. Make me look good, please. <laughs> edit, or edit sound good. Sound good, exactly. Sound good, that's right.
0: Thanks. Right, I think that went well, both in the past and in the future. Yes. And, <laughs> and so... Let's
2: I just f- know it sounded good.
0: Okay, and let's go even further into the past, which was last week on Sil- Silicon Valley Comic Con. And we encountered a comic book project that I think is really fascinating. And and obviously we, we, we really don't conduct interviews unless we do think that the project is is worthy of attention. And so here it is, a Kickstarter campaign for a, a very fully realized uh, science fiction Uh, dystopian uh, uh, dystopian slash utopian uh, concept that is comics are only the beginning but we we got to talk to a local creator to San Jose uh, and that's Rebecca Robinson with her a concept called a more perfect union and here we are talking about her Kickstarter campaign We are on the exhibit floor, the exhibit hall floor of Silicon Valley Comic Con 2018, and we are talking with, can I say local teacher? Because I just did. Uh, I just <laughs> want to say this, because you are local to the area, In um, Rebecca Robinson, who is the creator of a, I want to say concept, because it's not just a comic yes, book that a you're world. kickstarting, yes. a world yes. called A More Perfect Unit. Mm-hmm. And the the Kickstarter campaign launched April 4th, so just last week, and even with the time traveling of this podcast, it will still have two or three weeks left on the Kickstarter for More Perfect Union. And I'm going to say up front, while I remember it, that the website is amoreperfectunion.co, not C-O-M. C-O. All right? <laughs> and so, this is positing a near-future United States, only it's not a United States, it's this, unit, this united States. And I'm going to see if I can go from the map, uh, which in basically some sort of dystopian future. A yes. division between us between New Albion, which is yes. the West. Yes. And... And what do you call it? It's just the Confederacy. We call it Confed. Confed. Uh-huh. Sounds kind of Confed. All right. So Confed. And uh, and really, w- though you created this six years ago, this division of this nation is very. Um, this is liberal, Al- almost, because in New Albion, it's women in charge. It's a it's very
3: utopian, yeah. and Ma- it's, a matriarchy. Uh, there's no marriage, it's uh, kind of rational, uh, feminist, definitely women in charge, but the confederacy, or confed, is the exact opposite.
0: I mean, it's, it's almost red states versus blue states, yes, exactly. but in the, I, I, let me be fair, in the extremes that I see people accusing the other side of being so it's an interesting thought experiment so what gave you the idea of this six years ago
3: well, I got divorced in 2007. So, my, I didn't even realize it, but I started writing this story uh, to create a, a world where there was no marriage. And so, if there's no marriage, then you don't have a failed marriage. And you don't have to feel bad, which I did because I got divorced. I mean, there's no shame, there's no pain. So, if it's simple and clean and you have a contract that you can renew every four or five years, hey, no harm. Arm no foul. Things don't work out. You just move on. So, and I didn't even realize that I was doing this until I was about three years in, and I'm like, Oh my god, I created a world where I didn't have to feel bad. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, join the cast of Archer for Q and A and the premiere of Archer: Danger Island. Oh, Rick wants
3: to go. You're going to run over there
1: Uh, right after this.
3: (laughs) Okay. And thank you again for coming to Silicon Valley Comic Con. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so yes, you yeah. created the world. Yeah. It was almost you were working out your psychological. Yes, issues. my
3: emotional issues from yeah. being divorced, and then um, basically there was a there was a phrase that resonated with me that um, many things in our society were like the uh, Taliban was in America, and so what I did is I took the Confederacy to the greatest extreme um, and created a society where most women had lost the vote. Um, There's no women's reproductive health. Um, Women are very much uh, separate, segregated citizens. And I just took it to the ultimate extreme. And um, and then the story kind of spun itself from there.
0: And then you, you you and I talked a little bit yesterday uh, to kind of warm up for this and, and you mentioned you had pitched this as an idea for a television series right. uh, like four years ago yeah. but it's sort of shut down right. and I know there was a am a, not going to say a similar idea but I guess on the surface probably was yeah. HBO had the Confederacy yeah. that it was controversial about a year ago yeah. what I think is fascinating and I was saying to you about this being of his time is you wrote this six years ago and yes you're working out as good writers do, right? Yep. Working at your your issues yeah. and maybe not even realizing you were. Yeah. Taking them to extremes. But what's happened since four years ago is we've had the Me Too movement.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: And Handmaid's Tale made it to Hulu. Yeah. and Which is essentially, that's the same region. Yes. So how do you feel now? Like the, I I mean, if anything, this is even more resonant than when you were doing a thought experiment six years ago.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a little scary. It's a little freaky about, um, how much, uh, there are now discussions about, um, anti-women, anti-Muslim, um, discrimination of all sorts that has really come to the fore with our present, um, administration. And unfortunately I'm seeing that, uh, the division of our country, uh, red and blue or um, whatever it might be, urban and rural, is is actually a possibility. And that's a little scary. So my it's a, somewhat of a cautionary tale. It's supposed to be entertainment. It's fiction. But it's like, um, and just to, to your point, when I wrote The Utopian Society, I thought, oh, wow, this is the place I absolutely want to be. But, you know, the more that I developed it, the more I thought, No, the idea of love and commitment and marriage is not so powerful and not so resonant. And so actually the most powerful love stories are in the Confederacy. So I kind of turned it on its head so that there's some, you know, it's not totally black or white. And, And we take three families and move through about 30 years of history with them. And it's, you know... It's so
0: good. I... Well, you're, you've got me drawn in because I'm one of those guys who loves family sagas. Like, yeah. the Kent Family Chronicles in the 70s was, like, my favorite books as a cool. kid. But I read some of your character profiles, oh, and so there's... Thank an, I Thank you. You reminded me I wanted to call this out. So yeah. the first book that's being kickstarted, uh-huh. the first volume, is Tamara's story. Right. And what I noticed is, and here's the blurring, which I I love that you took this, is her hobbies are guns. This (laughs) is a a young woman trying to make it to New Albion to be what is essentially safety for for feminism. Yeah. But she's a total... Oh, yeah. with guns is oh, yes. you know which yeah, is yeah. Yeah. this is too much of our news too much of our yes. world right now is saying yes. it's this black and white and it's, it's not it's not at most all most of us are in the middle yeah, yeah. and it, we're only hearing the extremes yeah. so yeah. you've created that yeah and, which is great
3: and when she gets to New Albion it's very hard transition for her because she's surrounded by people who are ultra feminists and she's like oh this is my new home but this feels very you know this doesn't feel right to me this is very uncomfortable so and then she goes from being a very spoiled princess Princess in the Confederacy to being a radicalized revolutionary that's going to try and bring down confed. So, that's the story.
0: Right, and then her mother, Jocelyn, yes. there's another layer of complexity, there in the confed. see, I did read up on yes. this,
3: half Persian yes. and
0: having to hide that. Yes,
3: yes. Exactly. And her, um, so Tamara's grandmother was a very famous uh, Persian surgeon, and she was forced to convert, and then she was only allowed to do surgery on women um, after the war so I mean there's lots of layers of you know meaning and different storytelling there. Yeah.
0: And, and the world building on this is, a, you know, clearly, I can read up on this website <laughs> and know a lot of, of, of the depth and see a lot of the potential of where you're planning to go with this. This is Thank near you. future. I think the first reference, I can't remember whose story it is, because you it's, you, you handed me yeah. the, the mini-comic yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is like 2024?
3: 2023, and we're doing yeah, an animated blessed. short, and it's called The Great Shift, and that's about what happens after the Civil War, and it's very similar to what happened in India in 1947 and so if you're familiar with that the great partition so it's modeled on that then we take a jump with the same characters to 2031 and then we take another jump to 2052 also with the same characters all right so, so.
0: what the Kickstarter is, is for Tamara's story yeah so people check this out on a More Co, as well as Kickstarter and yeah. the link should be there and we'll certainly put one up as well and uh, but this is gonna be more than a comic book this much more so
3: yeah i don't know what else to ask or say
0: about it except i'm very excited by this project so this is is really cool and we're glad to help and give you some thank you for taking the time thank you and we wish the best of luck in funding to both brian carver and rebecca robinson so once again on indiegogo you can look up the movie last hit and on kickstarter uh, we'll, which I'm sure will provide the link on the, fan, the for both on the Fanboy Planet page for this podcast. But uh, you can look up a more perfect union at Tamara's story as a comic book project.
2: And, and, and I, there's I a both. volume one, Tamara's Escape. Tamara's um, Escape. Right. right. Yes. And I I don't think we, we talked. We had talked with her about the art, but I didn't think we talked during the podcast about the art because the style is really, it's, it's, it's a little less frenetic, but it really reminds me of Bill Sinkowitz. Um, Sinkavich, yeah, it's, Sink- um, it's
0: It's yeah, it's very. It's a really interesting look. And it's it's
2: under detailed, so it looks more film like. You know, it's not like hard lines of a comic.
0: Oh yeah, and I think on the Kickstarter page they've got a video in which he's animated. Yeah, uh, some of this, and I and I just think there's something you know depth wise that's interesting i i definitely see this as a you know you can do some things with motion comics with this yeah. without being animated i think really there's something there's there's something to it but that's that's you know that's not my decision to make i just thought wow there's there's a there's a really cool feel to it it reminds me of, well it is british artist um i'm trying to think of it's not simon bisley there's uh there was an artist uh, did, did halo jones back in the 80s that the style kind of reminds me of That's still that kind of that kind of look but uh I'll get there and probably at about uh a.m. I will remember the name of that artist um, and uh, but regardless uh, we we wish the best of luck to to both of them and let us talk you know because when I suggested we interview brian as well we were talking about making this theme because this has been uh, for me too, a, a heavy week of uh, or a couple of weeks of of getting excited about things in in on Kickstarter, and uh, so you want to talk about this is amazing stories. The revival of this of an
2: amazing ma- an amazing story,
0: an amazing story about amazing stories. Which, if that magazine title sounds familiar to you, it's because it was really one of the pioneering sci science fiction magazines of the 30s and 40s of the pulp era. I don't know when it stopped publishing. I mean, I, I think I recall seeing it on the stands even as a young adult, right? I mean, it was well into the 80s or 90s, but am I crazy? No. It, I, uh, I realize that's not evidence, but still, you know, it, one way or the other. But is my memory faulty on this? It it had it, it, it lasted into the 90s.
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I was wishing... Um, <laughs> I was thinking, why didn't I do more research? Why didn't Derek research his questions? <laughs> <laughs> so, um i don't research no, do when I'm no, writing. no. Uh, amazing story started in in uh, 1926 so mm-hmm. it goes way back but i i don't know when it when it stopped um but the uh the the funding story here is amazing
0: oh it is absolutely
2: because they were looking for about thirty thirty thousand dollars, and you and i had both we had both backed this, so we were both getting the, yes. the every other day updates, and they had come out with an update where they were they were sitting at about just under seventeen thousand dollars, and they're saying, "Well, you know, it was a good try. We will will uh, keep you all in touch. We'll see what we can do we're looking forward in the future." And then, over the course of less than twenty four hours, they hit thirty thousand dollars.
0: Dude, I, I'm not even sure that was I. I feel like it was four hours between emails. Like I got this email from the guy, one of the editors who said, well, I'm disappointed, but I got to go off and take care of some other stuff. So I just wanted to, you know, weigh in and say thank you for your efforts, but it's just not going to happen.
2: Well, the um...
0: And then suddenly I get an email, you know, a few hours later that says, we're funded. Yeah, and even... then I get an email the <laughs> next day saying, "Oh am I from the same guy going, oh my gosh, I can't believe we funded.'" It was so, April
2: 6th that they, they said the so long and thanks for all the fish, and then on the 7th they said, uh, he left my house today with just about 20 minutes left in the Kickstarter campaign. To be honest with you, things were looking pretty grim, and then he got back and he was not believing anybody who said that they had made it. I was like, wow.
0: Yeah. that's yeah so I, again you know if anybody listened to our last podcast well of course people did but if you well, when you listen to our last podcast when we we're talking about the hugo award nominations you know this this is the the connection amazing stories revival is going to be another another, another outlet, venue yeah another venue for for short stories and novellas novelettes
2: and, and- the, the 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 um the kickstarter was a Pretty cool set of options, you know. They always, you know, you you always give the, donate at a certain level, and you get some kind of benefit for doing that. And so, did you? I do, I went for twenty five dollars on this because that was a subscription to the paper magazine and a subscription to the e e ebook version of the I'm, magazine. I'm,
0: I'm I, I subscribed only to the ebook okay. version, but also got the metal uh, bookmarks because ah. I realized with solid books that I have. Solid books. Uh, that that is something I need to have more than one bookmark lying around instead of using okay. receipts from the last place I ate, or <laughs> so forth. You know. So I thought, oh, that'd be nice. Maybe if I have a really nice bookmark, I'll pay attention to where I put it. And uh, and plus, it's just cool. I you know I want yeah. to be part of that. And then,
2: uh, but for people you know, who are still looking, who are who are saying, oh darn, I missed out on it, you can go to the Kickstarter site, find amazing stories, and you can sign up for a subscription. Now and, uh, and yeah. yeah, and it's going to be well either, worth it. either digital or print.
0: Yeah, I've decided to go digital. You finally convinced me, and I think yeah. uh, it, uh, since in a, in a few weeks I'll be I'll be on very long plane flights, uh, I'm finally going to break down and buy a tablet so that I can uh, so that I can read things digitally. Uh, so cool. uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, another one that was another amazing story, but not involving amazing stories. Well, I guess so. Uh, was uh, from. Jim DeMonacos, who had, if the name is familiar, he had worked for Image years ago. That's how he and I first met. He moved up to the Pacific Northwest, uh, owned a chain of comic shops, became one of the, co- the founders of Emerald City Comic Con, uh, and was also the one of the songwriters for Kirby Crackle. Uh, and he decided that one thing he really needed was a good spinner rack. Yeah. So he started We've all been
2: there. We've all, We've been, all there. been there.
0: Yeah. I, you know I'm gonna admit i I backed I, I, I backed it because they had, I, I, got, I, I do like pins like tie pins of uh, the spinner rack logo uh-huh. uh, but I couldn't in any of the places that I stay I could not justify actually having a rack uh, in my <laughs> in my home because I don't have room because I have uh-huh. too many other things at this point but somewhere down the line I'm gonna be really grateful that somebody Made spinner racks. Now, I took his word for it. I want to say this, is that Diamond did offer spinner racks at uh, about the same price, but they sold out. So he was technically correct. There there just weren't any available for any like new merchants, and certainly not for home use. And that's I think one of the coolest yeah, things about and, this.
2: And i looked I looked at some of those commercially available spinner racks and they just I don't weren't like them. they weren't as well built as the ones that had been in the stores. And this one, I mean he goes the, the nice thing about a Kickstarter is they will show you their build quality. They'll show you what they intend to do as far mm-hmm. as the way they're going to construct the um the product and they get down to the bearings that they're using in this now i'm i'm going yeah it's going to be an entirely silent spinner rack which means you're going to need to add a little audio thing that will add the squeal of it turning around artificially because you know that's the way they stay they all sounded that's yeah. it, it's the whole multimedia experience but no the the fact that they put they they're even thinking down to the ball bearings that they're using to let this thing spin And, like, you go into stores, a lot of stores nowadays, you go in and the spinner rack is rigid. It doesn't move, you know. You have to walk around it to look at the stuff.
0: Uh, You know, I will say this. Earth 2 in Sherman Oaks does have working spinner racks. Oh, good. Good. But, you know, it is rare. And the, the other thing that Jim added this was he went to comic craft and because i found out about this because of richard starkings and uh, oh. he went to, he went to uh Comicraft and he had you know actual signs that said hey kids comics redone and so i looked at like what diamond ha- had offered and it didn't have that cool factor it didn't you know there was i guess what he what this offered was kitsch uh, a little bit you know nostalgia legitimate you know and and maybe diamond was going more practical but if you're going to put something like this in your home that's what you want that nostalgia you want that there's a coolness factor but the amazing story about it is that the thing and this was no low amount you know the they no, no. for tens of thousands of dollars to make this go he fully funded in four hours and i realized that's why that stuck in my head about amazing stories because yeah. that was, it was that it was four hours for the spinner rack, and I think that's just that's their just goal great.
2: was nineteen thousand, and they are currently with twenty-one days left to go. So people who want this, they've got plenty of time to get in on it. Forty-five thousand three hundred thirty-five dollars. many Christmas. Time. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's so. and and the nice thing about this, you know, I, I do a lot of kickstarters. And one of the one of the things you always have to worry about is when they have a a long pro, they have a long tail on the project, um, they end up changing the product and adding stuff to it, which temp which potentially puts it in risk for delivery because they now they have to build out a different project schedule. Um, but this one looks like it's going just, just going to go straight forward and sell all that money, more power to them. They'll just be able to hire better people, make sure they have a good manufacturer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this a, right. looks like a solid project.
0: So let's talk about the other ones that you were interested in. There was this uh, a revival of a game from the 80s called yes. Fireball Island
2: Yeah, I know
0: nothing about.
2: So um, I, actually, I actually missed this one. It was an 80s uh, board game. You know, and then and I do a lot of board gaming. You know, it's no secret. Um, the the thing about I, I the thing about uh, this is kind of a this is a was originally a Milton Bradley game, and the, every now and then you end up with these games that are that are commercially available and totally overproduced. Uh, I can't remember. There was one like when I was a kid. There was one like a talking mummy. And it actually had a little record player inside that when you pulled the string, it would play, it would say something as the mummy. There was a, there's another one. I vaguely
0: recall that game. I can't remember what it was called, but uh, I one never of, had any of those. I only of, got the things that you could get at Sprouse Reeds.
2: Uh, but one of, one of the classic ones was called Dark Tower, and that had a huge dark tower in the top of it, and it would shine lights out into the board. And um, that one's still what they call a grail game. And so was Fireball Island. Uh, which, basically, it's a it's a three dimensional island with all these paths all over it. It's it's a plastic like a vacuum form um, of of this island. There there's some creative things about the way they're putting it together in two pieces so they can keep it in a smaller box. Um, but you have your characters are moving around the island on the path, trying to pick up uh oddly enough postcards to prove that they've been to various <laughs> scenic locations on the island at the top of the island is this uh this carven demon head that occasionally will spit fireballs out along the path and so as a as a player, you get to watch these marbles roll out of the demon head and hit the hit the pass and then trace their way down the down the island and you hope it doesn't actually hit you and there there's uh they they've not only Uh, Rebuilt the game so it's a better build quality than the original, but they've added expansions to it and more types of fireballs, and it's just insanely, insanely cool. Their original goal was $250,000 to do this. They're currently sitting at $1,377,000. Too many
0: Christmas. Again, I'm going to be saying that a lot tonight. (laughs) Yeah. I, I,
2: I have four... I have a lot of friends on um on Kickstarter and some some actually doug Barrett, doug uh garrett yeah, you know. yeah. um and four of my friends are backing uh this project uh so it's not it's 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 a fairly popular
0: uh i i keep forgetting kick. about this social media aspect of of Kickstarter because i don't Pay attention to that. You know, I can barely keep on top of the of, of the main ones. But maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe we'll start talking through Kickstarter instead of Facebook.
2: It's possible. It's possible. It's,
0: you know, who cares? Who, who knows what games I bought uh, and what comics I've backed.
2: And the but the hey, other thing about this is, if you, even if you just want. There's like a little nostalgia thrill to look at this thing because they have the uh, they have a commercial that looks like that's made to look oh, like it's you know, a I love those tape. kinds of games. Yeah,
0: you know that's that that's the thing It's like as a kid like one of my favorites, which I did not own as a child, but I did buy as an adult was Mousetrap. Oh yeah, and you and, never
2: played the game; you just put the mousetrap together.
0: Oh yeah, you know, I, I played it a couple times, but not not enough. Right, and then yeah. uh, my cousin had one called Which Which Is Which. Uh
2: huh.
0: And that was one with, like, it was a, there was a, I think that was the one that had a haunted mansion, you know, like staircase and so forth, and you were, and there were witches, you know. And I was even fascinated as a kid by Mystery Date, just because there was that tactile uh, interactivity to it.
2: Open the door for your Mystery Date.
0: Mystery Date, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a dream. Mm, It's a dud. Yeah. So, (laughs) I And I know, because I remember that Mummy one you were talking about, and I see pictures. And sometimes you go to, like, a toy fair, and I'll see these old oh, yeah. games from the 60s yeah. and just go, wow. Like, I wish I had had that. But anyway, so combining games and comics was one you had pointed out to me. And I admit, like I said, I, 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 I didn't back this one because I was just, I thought, man, I just want these books frustrating me. But Graphic Adventures.
2: it's Solitaire it's- Games. It, they are basically, um, graphic novel adventures is what it's called. Uh, they, they're put together by Van Ryder games. Um, so you want to look for graphic novel adventures. It's a set of five, you can order less, but there, there are five game books. Each one's a different, um, a different type of adventure. So I'm the, uh, let's see. So there's Sherlock Holmes, there's captive tears, of the goddess, uh Your Town and uh Loop Guru
0: the sequel by the way to Our Town of
2: course <laughs> yeah of course it's, we're it's taking game. the town back
0: <laughs> no it's just a, it's a game in which you learn about you know existentialism yeah.
2: yeah exactly but these are these are graphic novels but they're also the it, there were two types of games back in the 80s and 90s that this this uh mimics and one was of course the choose Their own adventure games which basically took you through a story. And the other one were um gamer books uh by the British Steve Jackson, there was The Lone Wolf and there were a lot of other ones. I actually I actually have in my garage a couple of uh Lord of the Rings uh books that were done that way which are really collectible. But anyway, uh so this so not only are you doing a choose your own adventure but you have a character sheet in this where you take damage or get items or all this you have to manage through playing the game. So and the art in this is is I mean you've seen you've seen the art. I've only seen pictures of the books, um, but it's it's as good as any any. Uh, no, top, it was very impressive.
0: Quality. And it is funny that you just I never thought of choose your choose your own adventure as as a game. Yeah, I thought of them as books. Uh, that's just kind of interesting. I, I thought of them as narratives, you know, but interactive narratives. The so. prose
2: books, the Choose Your Own Adventure books, were interactive narratives. There was there was you made choices, but it just took you different scenes, and you'd have a different resolution. And then the game books were primarily put up by gaming companies, but were in the same line. They were prose books, but you would have encounters that you resolved like a D anD D conflict, where you rolled dice for yourself and for the for the character in the book. And you kept track of what your hits were, and maybe you'd die, and maybe you'd be able to go on through, maybe you'd find an item that would heal you and It was more like a solitaire game and this is this brings the graphic novel into that where it's no longer prose, but they do have the if you do this, go to this page, and it does have the character sheet where you keep track of your hits or whatever there's each book has a slightly different way that they deal with the characters which is really kind of cool because some are some are straight up combat some are not so much combat more more uh can you solve the puzzle kind of thing so um but i'm pretty excited about fan writer games graphic novel adventures
0: so yeah cool cool and so uh, that takes us into, I guess now we can talk comics because there it is, we just talked about comics and, and yeah. games together Hello, and now you. our com- it's, it's rough but it worked uh, so, <laughs> you know, the big story in comics this week is as I mentioned, we had Silicon Valley com- Comic Con last weekend, which I think is uh, a convention that uh, every year, you know, it's, it's still kind of reinventing itself and I think this year was better than last year in terms of being uh, certainly more back to being compact. You weren't spread out all over the city or all over downtown, I should say, instead. And uh, so, but it kind of became a lightning rod for controversy completely by accident that uh, with the appearance of Stan Lee. And I said this because this is you know, obviously nerd news, but, you know, it has made it into the Hollywood Reporter and so forth that it looked like Stan Lee was very exhausted. He had, of course, he had at one point canceled uh, his appearance at, because he was fighting pneumonia. And I know that there were several other events that he was scheduled to be at that he can't withdrew from. And then about two weeks ago, uh, he released a video saying he would appear at Silicon Valley Comic Con, so everyone... Got excited, and, and you know, they had the photo ops and the, and the signature, did this I guess you call it the, the autograph line right. uh, opportunities. Uh, $120 per autograph and $150, and this is before the service charge, $150 for photos with him. And uh, I, I checked the schedule. He was certainly very aggressively scheduled. I've um, also heard that it is Stanley and his camp that that sets the schedule. So, you know, that's, that's the controversy. Was Stan really setting the schedule or were the people around him? There's an article on fanboy planet and it's mostly so that I it can also point to, it certainly got my two cents because why else would I, I, read something, but it's also so that you can point to uh, the Hollywood reporters, very thorough uh, piece detailing what's been going on in the last few months with Stan and, and also there were some things that came out of out of Silicon Valley comic Con that bleeding cool ran with and it's just I don't think this story is over
3: no, and I'm also no. afraid
0: that this story it's just not gonna end well and so you know there are arguments on both sides there was a video released that's in the Hollywood reporter piece that where stancy is very hale and hearty and saying and disavowing some of the of the negative things um, but uh, you know i I don't want to get terribly bogged down cuz you can certainly certainly read that but but it is it is interesting that as as thorough as the article is there hasn't been very much uh, from the hollywood reporter there really hasn't been very much running the other side and uh, which is that there are character there are characters there are people who are named in that are around stan who uh, are now you know his entourage if you will and, and and the kind of barrier that are that are between Stan and the public and Stan and people that thought they were friends. And there isn't
2: I'm and they may the have positive. been friends.
0: yeah, and and what I I guess what I'm getting at is I have yet to encounter and I know a lot of people in the industry, and I've, I before I wrote anything, I spent a couple of evenings mess sending messages out to people. And asking, hey, for a little background, do you know this person? Do you know this person? What, what, what has your experience been? And, and what I'm not seeing in anybody's press is, uh, and I'm I'm following like comic book resources, Bleeding Cool, these figures are not being given. There's no counter of of positive portrayal, and that. As much as I want to believe that Stan, Stan is fine, it, it's just hard to say when I'm not seeing, when I'm not encountering anybody who who feels differently, other than the person, the people that are claiming, no, look, we we're 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 doing right by Stan. So um, it's just it's just not a great situation. I think you you and I chatted about this early yesterday morning. And one thing you said, which is what I have to hold on to, is that it, is that part of this is, and I pointed out in the article that Stan loves and is energized by his fans. Yeah, and and there is let's it, it carry a positive out of that, and I put in the article too. You know, the, a couple got engaged in front of him at a photo op, and he was so he's so clearly uh, himself engaged and tickled by it, and you know. And, And glad to have been part of that moment. And, and, you know, so there it is, is that that it's clear that, you know, Stan does know how loved he is and how, uh, and that is great to see that a legend, not just a Disney legend, a true legend. You and I have an interview coming up next week, uh, right in our next episode with Paul Scanlon uh, from Legion M, who's got a, who did a project it involves Stanley and we'll talk about that more in the next podcast, but you know, there is that, that he, that the, there's that, that energy and, and I yeah. pose the question of there's that project with Stan, who else are the legends, you know? And, and in our culture right now, of uh, people that are, are, that are truly living legends. I, I'm hard pressed in terms of pop culture to think of someone with that kind of, of, historical impact it's not just a good singer or something you know stan has changed our culture
2: yeah hey he's got his fans and there are a lot of them love him and it's important to me that i think regardless of of his age and you know the amount of energy he has he has to know that his fans love him and it's always tragic and you hear about this every couple of years the one that always comes to mind is benny hill who died thinking nobody cared about him, and at the, which couldn't have been further from the truth? He had no idea that he had generations of fans that were not around when he was originally doing the show. And you know, you don't want to see Robin Williams. You know, you don't want to see people go out like that, having having given you so much, and then just to go out on in a in a very sad, disturbing way. Um, I don't. Which I I don't want to say. Don't, I, I don't. Think I don't know that
0: that's going on right I, now. I don't think
2: know? it. I don't think it is. But important to me is that he knows that he is loved, and I, I yeah. I'm, I'm pretty darn sure he 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 knows that.
0: Yeah. So. Um. And, and so on, on. That you know, he's. Uh. I think it was very important that. Uh, every. I I want to stress that everybody at Silicon Valley Comic Con certainly. You know, they brought Stan and wanted Stan there for absolutely all the right reasons. Two years ago, has it been th- this is the third one that's officially called Silicon Valley Comic. Right. Right. So, so that, well, I'll say two years ago is when Stan was there cutting the ribbon, and it was originally, you know, presented to fans as this was Stanley and Steve Wozniak together creating the Silicon Valley Comic Con. They actually
2: Con. had a video of them talking on the phone about doing it. Right. It so locked up.
0: So with Stan coming back, you know, there was a lot of excitement to that for those of us who pay attention to that that kind of thing too. It's like, you know, it's absolutely appropriate that if Stan's going to make a return to public appearance, it, Silicon Valley Comic Con is is the best next place because that was, you know, he he started it. He also started another in L.A., which was uh, the Stan. The last name for it was the Stanleys L.A. Comic Con. It used to be called Stanleys Kamikaze, and I think that's four years running, maybe five. Uh, I did go in October. We had a couple of interviews on the podcast from that. It anna- they announced today that they're rebranding, and I think part of this is because it's getting harder and harder to call something Comic Con because of all you know the branding oh, yeah. San Diego's and been doing I wish so, they
2: wouldn't yeah I I wish they would leave that 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 term alone for San Diego but you know
0: this is a this is a mouthful and I you know and we'll see <laughs> people get around to it is it's now going to be called next year it's still in October at the LA Convention Center Beyond Fest Expo LA same festival same convention uh, which I didn't think was a bad convention. It's just they're, st- they're like it's Silicon Valley Comic Con. It took a couple of years to kind of get your footing as to what rooms should you be using and yes. you know what's the space like. And the LA Convention Center is you know it's it's got a great exhibition hall, no question. Getting to panels was I found a little uh, you know a little difficult. Uh, in one way, they solved it was just setting up a stage at one end of the exhibition hall and making it a completely public panel. Uh, (laughs) All day long. But uh, anyway, so they're called the Beyond Fest Expo L.A. At this, as of today, uh, this afternoon, it is unrelated to there is a great uh, weird booby film festival in L.A., in Hollywood as well, that takes place in October, called Beyond Fest. They're not related, but... Maybe they maybe they will be. They both take place in October. Uh, Beyond Fest, the film festival, which tends to run out of the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. I don't know if you walked by that when you had your little yes. trip down in January. Um, mm-hmm. It's a cool space. It's a it's again an old movie palace that's been been revived and, and they've they've got a great they've got a great lobby space and and it's a great screen. Um, anyway, they run they run this this this. Film Festival out there. It's usually the first couple of weeks of October, and then Stan Lee's comic or now, I'm sorry, Beyond Fest Expo LA. I'll get it. I, 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 I'll i get it <laughs> down. Uh, Beyond Fest Expo LA has uh, been in, at the end of October. In fact, I think this last year it was Halloween weekend. So, uh, you know, th- it could be a month long of, of celebrating uh, the popular arts and then the San Diego people will get upset. But, uh, you know, that's uh, because it's a celebration of popular arts. But that's where they all are, is these are the popular arts. The culture, pop culture has gotten edgy and weird and sci-fi and superhero and horror and all that and so why not make it a month-long celebration
2: speaking I of horror
0: so- by the way i survived hotel, hotel apocalypse
2: nice for
0: so you know that's that's exciting that you survived
2: yeah. but you still don't know your your fate no i oh, you got the hotel yeah you my, did. okay yeah. good good yeah, okay yeah, yeah. um beyond fest expo la i think it's a very forward-thinking name aside from the f- the from the twisting mm-hmm. beyond fest expo to put LA in there because it lets them if they become popular enough they want to branch out so they can do they can change the last last trailing bit and they still got their their moniker which is a was a problem for uh, Penny, Penny, Arc- Penny Arcade Expo Pax right um Pax originally did one in Seattle and they called it Pax Prime right and and when they started branching out to all these other places um there was a little bit of envy because PAX prime was still the one that everyone wanted to go to in Seattle and they were not as interested in the other ones, um, because they weren't prime and they've, they've now changed. They've now dropped the prime and it's now, I don't know if it's Seattle or East West or Pacific or something like that. But yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it's interesting because yeah, the convention game, and we've talked about this before is, uh, the big thing, especially with things of this level Is it is becoming almost like the franchise? You know, there was Wizard World going around. I believe Heroes and Villains Con, uh, which uh, Stephen ML has a has a piece of. uh, They appear all over the all over the country as well. And so it, it is. It's about the branding that you can take elsewhere. I think it's interesting, and it's for later analysis. Right, the San Diego Comic Con. Really, they started to. They have WonderCon and they had Ape for a while. They gave Ape back, Alternative Press Expo. They gave that back to uh, to Dan Vado. Dan Vado, yeah. And but they've really kind of stopped between WonderCon and San Diego. Whereas I, I just got an email. I can't remember the name of it of what convention, but but a convention I'd never heard of said, "Oh, now that you've finished Silicon Valley Comic Con, and by the way, very wise uh, press rep who waited until Monday after Silicon Valley Comic Con." to uh-huh. say, hey, one's come, a new one's coming to Sacramento, because there's no way anybody was going to pay attention the week of Silicon Valley Comic Con. Sure, and, you know, So there's one coming at the end of June. There's one in San Francisco at the beginning of June. And, boom. So the other interesting thing that I, I didn't write down in the itinerary, but for next year, Silicon Valley Comic Con, already this past, this past weekend, sort of competed with uh, Dallas Fan Expo, and C2E2, which is a Chicago Comic-Con that's huge. And that's where yes. most of the creators went, of the comics creators went. I think one thing that Wozniak has done, Steve Wozniak's done very intelligently about Silicon Valley Comic-Con is really put an emphasis on the science as well. And
2: Yeah, so NASA's always had a big there. central booth, and um, there's a lot of technology stuff there. Yeah.
0: The- so, uh, But anyway, so the, the, we're competing with two there. Now next year, Silicon Valley Comic Con, another one that I apologize—I can't remember the name offhand—but C two E two, and WonderCon are all currently scheduled to be the last weekend of March in 2019. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> Just even looking at that, going, uh, "What do I do?" Um, well, you know, I it, haven't it's... gone to WonderCon for a couple of years, but it is conventions have... i liked.
2: Conventions have just been incredibly. Uh, they, they've grown quite a bit. Used to be, I don't know, in our area there were like four in the in in the Silicon Valley back yeah. maybe twenty years ago. And over the years, you know, there's like a new one every year or so. Um, and when one comes in and and announces that they're on the same weekend as a the prior one, the one that's been around for 20 years, it's always super contentious. You know, it's always like right. why you're invading our space, man. But there's just not that much space, especially around like three-day weekends. Um,
0: well, and the other thing I'll say is, is the ones that have come in, when you're talking in the Bay Area, most of those are, they're smaller. With the exception of, I think, FANIME is probably bigger than I keep thinking it is. You know, um, FANIME is pretty big. Yeah, I, I've never been there. But it's also its own creature to, to some extent. But uh, I know you're thinking clockwork alchemy, which I think, I think did blink and moved. It was a couple of weeks ago.
2: It used to be, you bought a ticket for clockwork alchemy or you bought a ticket for fanime and you, you got into both conferences. Yeah, so the so, same weekend. That's one way to get around that same weekend thing. Is just you combine. But Clockwork moved to earlier in the year. They've already had yeah, the convention. Right,
0: right, right. But they're also a, a smaller scope. Like when you talk about BayCon, we're you know that's yeah. like Gallifrey one size, about three thousand uh, memberships sold. As but when you're talking Silicon Valley Comic Con, which is like sixty thousand, I'm assuming C two E two was close to a hundred thousand, and it's about identity. Is if you want to get comics pros in one thing that I admit Silicon Valley Comic Con has started losing is is the comics industry. There yeah. are many local creators who show up. Mick Gray, Fantastic, there. You know, Jim Shooter was there this year.
2: Yeah. and
0: um,
2: the guy who does Prince Valiant, um, Yates. Yeah, Yates. Yeah, yeah, Tommy, y-
0: Tommy Yates, and, yeah. and 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 of course uh, Dan Brereton, who's local. A lot of that talent were people that live in the Bay Area, but I noticed, like, Eric Larson wasn't there, though Ryan Sook was. And But what's also missing, you look, the big publishers aren't there. There were a few years when it was Big Wild wow Comic Fest where you had Boom. Uh, you had Boom. Yeah. You had Made Fire. You had, uh, I want to say Dark Horse has shown up at one point. I think Valiant had been there a couple of years. And now there really just isn't any. And so if Silicon Valley Comic Con wants to still... Be a part of the comics industry, and, you know that. That I, I don't know what the answer is, but all these conventions going up, as you're right, limited space on a calendar. But the more that big conventions have like a national renown, then they can't go be going head to head with each other because I I know I've I've talked to people at Dark Horse and Boom that. A few years ago, they were already seeing it like, well, at some point, everybody's got to still work on making the books, you know. (laughs) So we can't keep going to these conventions. We have to pick and choose. And so I I fear that Silicon Valley Comic Con kind of lost out a little bit. But uh, I'm hoping that that they can figure out a way to rebound. So we shall see. I I do want to give some more positive news. Uh, Dynamite is launching a new Elvira series. And I'm very excited to say that our friend of the podcast, uh, David Avalone, is writing Elvira
2: yeah, after we, his after his uh, successful tour with Betty Page,
0: with Betty Page and Doc Savage. So yeah. he's becoming kind of a, a great uh, Dynamite Entertainment house house writer, and so he's he's working on Elvira. So that's pretty cool. And uh, it's not really comics, but uh, it's just it was announced this week that. Uh, uh, a new J.R.R. Tolkien uh, novel, the first novel in the Middle Earth saga, *The Fall of Gondolin*, is due in August, edited by his son Christopher. Which means that they, we're getting a new Middle Earth novel from J.R.R. Tolkien before we're getting a new *Song of Ice and Fire* novel from George R.R. <laughs> R. Martin.
2: So, <laughs>
0: and Tolkien's been dead fifty years.
2: Yeah, that's this true. is <laughs> step up your game, Martin.
0: <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> and let's go with, and by the way, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, of course, oh, know, yeah. I mentioned that mm-hmm. Oni and uh, IDW announced over the weekend that there's going to be a Dungeons & Dragons uh, Rick and Morty crossover, and I thought, all right, now I know there's going to be fans up in arms that Patrick Rothfuss is writing this, but if there's anything that's going to delay the Kingkiller Chronicles for <laughs> me, I think a Rick and Morty Dungeons & Dragons crossover is probably worthwhile. Uh, Especially,
2: it's uh, the amount of time to write one of those versus another novel. I think it's, it's a fair trade off. Like,
0: yeah, we will see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that, that's all fun stuff. So let's go to what's in the bag. What's, what can people buy right now? Rick?
2: Oh boy. You know what we should buy buy right now? I, I, my only complaint about this is that this, this issue resolves a two issue lead in storyline, which, for a landmark issue i don't particularly like but it's okay this is captain america number 700 uh mark wade and uh chris samney um we talked about uh this uh latest uh run on captain america the post the post uh hydra cap coming back looking at Ameri- looking traveling the uh the roads of America. Uh, there's a, there's a particular scene in this where he talks about the purple mountains and that he's, he's gone out and seen, uh, the America that they, they wrote about in song. Um, that's not where most of the book takes place. I won't spoil it for anyone. Uh, it is, it is a time travel story and And a good one. And a really good one because it goes where you really don't expect it to go and then resolves in a way that more time travel stories should resolve.
0: And I and I wanna say, uh I was behind. Like I think what happened was I bought the first Mark Wade Chris Samney,
2: uh-huh. sort
0: of assumed that foolishly, that I had added it to my pool list and I hadn't. Uh, so I missed some and I went, okay, I'll just get it when it comes to the trade, but I bought this because, of course, it also has another story you're going to talk about. Uh, yeah. This is history. I'd better have that. So I read this. And, and and while you say you were frustrated that it was the second part... I, the- not frustrated. Like, no, just no, no, disappointed. I mean, just but, a little disappointed. You know what? It reminded me of being a kid where you just pick up that random sure, issue and sure. it follows the gym shooter rules. I caught up immediately... Yeah and it was I, I i will go back and get issue 699 or i will enjoy the trade or i'll catch it up on marvel yeah. comics unlimited but regardless i will enjoy the read and i enjoyed this read a lot and i loved the story and i loved as you say completing into the time travel the way it should be so
2: yeah no and as you as you alluded to uh this includes two things. Uh, One, it includes uh, a nice letters page, uh, which, which is, you know, you don't always read. Anybody says they always read the letters page. I don't, I don't necessarily believe them, but this is a letter. This is a set of letters to read. But before that, you have Mark Wade, who took three days. Um, There's a, there's actually a a story on marvel.com about the making of this. He went back and found art, uh, unrelated art, from Kirby uh, books and drawings, uh, and he he had, he set up a couple of rules. One, he wanted to make sure it was the same inker all the way through. So it's Frank Giacosa, mm-hmm. and and Jack Kirby classic artwork, and he redid all this disparate art into a. You know, you could read this and not not realize that it hadn't been laid out and plotted by kirby they do the they do a bunch of the the six panel layout which occasionally a six panel layout the two of the panels get broken into one panel but it's still the same classic kirby layout you have one nine panel layout um ending with uh a connection to a character that uh we may we may talk about in in later of uh what's in the bag um so i i think this is uh it's a wonderful uh seven hundred ish episode seven hundredth issue um we've got we've got more of these to come as far as uh uh i know that what else is what else is coming, uh, coming up to six hundred um boy oh iron man iron man's gonna have its six hundredth issue oh sure uh, and uh, maybe Doctor Strange. I'm not sure, um, but anyway, worth worth the worth well worth the $5.99 that it costs.
0: Is that what it cost me? Okay, I enjoy. Yeah. I, I don't regret it. I don't regret a minute of it. Uh, first on on my stack would be Domino Number One ah, by yeah. Gail Simone and David Baldion, uh with color by uh, Jesus Alberto, and. Domino's not, you know, a character I've been aware of. I've certainly seen her run through other things. Uh, I know the re, you know, the main reason that Marvel's, th- you know, put a team together for this was because uh, she's going to be featured featured very uh, significantly in Deadpool two, or I'm still holding out for the title to be Untitled Deadpool Sequel, but yeah. I don't think it's going to have I think it's going to be Deadpool two.
2: I think and- there's another reason, but we'll get to that.
0: Yeah, well, you no, know, I'm sure. But uh, Domino this is fun. I don't remember Domino being this fun a character. No. To some extent, I would say uh it's possible that she that Simone is kind of positioning her to be the Harley Quinn of Exactly. The, of the DC of the Marvel universe.
2: Exactly. But
0: there's but she's still more serious than Harley, but uh you know, I yeah. I was completely drawn in by, you know, the first uh the first uh, opening page is a splash of a of a, bull a dog,
2: boy. and yeah. which is which is totally a Harley Quinn move. And I I saw this as you know it, it she's going to be in in the movie, but it's also this is if I was at Marvel and saying what character could I put out there as a we've got a Harley Quinn like character too it would be Domino and they did it's she is totally re, rewritten. In this, from her previous previous uh, X Force, and it was but funny I, because.
0: But I want to say it's great it's because you know Simone is a fantastic writer, and that's what yes. drew me to it in the first place. Was, yes. and it's been a while since I've really see, seen Simone getting a chance to, to write comedy. She's going to again with Plastic Man at DC starting in June, but it's just nice nice to see. And speaking of the dog, I just want to throw in you know I don't know if you've been reading the Lockjaw miniseries.
2: No, I have but- not. But job. it's
0: terrific. Talk about a great kids' book. Uh, it, it is fun, and they're they're fighting uh, interdimensional hamsters. So uh,
2: that makes a lot of sense.
0: It's Lockjaw <laughs> D-Man teaming up a D-powered D-Man. So so
2: so interesting trivia about uh, about Domino. Mm-hmm. First appearance.
0: I, I want to ask what
2: Okay, her first appearance is x-force number eight however she appeared and that's in 1992 she actually appeared in february 1991 in new mutants however that was retconned and that she wasn't actually that wasn't actually domino that was a character called copycat impersonating her but we hadn't seen her prior to that well so, then
0: uh, there's there's something for, so, for for Gail Simone to play with, which I'm sure she's aware of. Well it's so, always
2: one of those things where in the when the movie comes out, the characters that get introduced in the movie now now the first appearance books always always go up in value. So the question is, will it be the New Mutants ninety eight or will it be X Force eight or will they both equally go up or you know, whatever. Yeah.
0: Right, so was that Right. And New Mutants became X Force when Rob after Rob Liefeld had been there a few issues. So Oh uh, don't think so, but yeah, no, it did. It it was you because don't confuse it with X Factor, and that's the problem with all the X Men books. New Mutants stopped at like one hundred, and then because then it relaunched as X Force, and now there is a New Mutants title again. But by that point, the New Mutants weren't all that new. So Rob Liefeld brought in, brought in the c- cable being more militaristic, and they became more of a you know of a fighting force instead of kids just
2: yeah caught up okay. In stuff. Okay, so.
0: Yeah, and yeah. because yeah, Deadpool comes from that too.
2: Yeah, Deadpool. Deadpool is the one I'm remembering, but I now, now that I think about it, uh, Boom Boom was in it, and um, mm-hmm. uh, what's her name? The Irish girl who was the werewolf. Rain. Um, Rain. Yeah.
0: Rain Sinclair, who will yeah. be, uh, you know, will be in the New Mutants movie. Uh, so uh, that's which we, we, I think we mentioned before has been pushed back yet again. So uh, let's go. What's next in your stack?
2: Next in my stack is actually it's a hardback uh, from Marvel, and it's Thanos the Infinity Siblings, which is a original Never Been in Comics Before book. Um, but it follows a couple of other trilogies. There was a Thanos trilogy that primarily dealt with Thanos and Adam Warlock, which was Thanos the Infinity Finale. Thanos the Infinity Relativity and Thanos the Infinity Revelation. Um, these titles are really easy to get mixed up. Uh, this one, however, is interesting um, from the standpoint of this is Thanos and uh, Eros, also known as Starfox, um brothers, who um whose father was killed by Thanos, at least one of the incarnations of thanos um this book is it's by jim starlin he's the writer and alan davis who is one of my favorite um Mm -hmm. favorite x-men and and uh related titles um artist the the thing that this got me thinking about was there's always the criticism of thanos that dc came out with dark seed first dark side Dark Side. Yeah, well. Um,
0: hey, it's it, what, it's in the movies now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Dark Side. But when I've, I've been. I went back and I reread a couple of additional graphic novels, and I would put Dark Side. Um, I would say that Dark Side is, has not as fully realized a character as Thanos, nor as intriguing a character as Thanos. Um, when you look at all the things that Thanos. Thanos deals with real, real world questions like, so if you did own, if you did, if you were omnipotent, what well, what's next? You know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a character who deals with, um, why does he love death? And he, he's, 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 he's not sure himself in a lot of cases. And the characters that he interacts with are often, um, Similarly conflicted, Adam Warlock specifically in a lot of these books.
0: Well, I, you know, I'll say Jim Starlin was working on a cosmic scale. Jack Kirby painted in broad strokes,
3: terrifically
0: yeah. creative. But you know, you read the Fourth World Saga, and by, by the even by the name Dark Side, it, it is you know there's a little on the nose. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Thanos, at least you have to know something about Greek, you know, <laughs> to get yeah. that connection. And you know that's the, I think that, that you're right, and and that as as imposing and great a character as Darkseid can seem to be, he is fairly one note. I think it's it's kind of funny you, know, you play Injustice uh, two where Thanos uh, where Darkseid is a character, and there really there's not much dialogue. There's not you know he's slow, and that is that Darkseid is just this implacable. Death figure, whereas Thanos has been allowed so much depth. The yeah. tragedy of this graphic novel that you love is, of course, Starlin's not going to finish it because he's mad. So at, at Marvel, so you know that there's that graphic novel's done, but it was supposed to be there's supposed to be another one still, and it didn't, and it's not going to happen.
2: Mm, so, maybe. Well, Who someone knows? else will. Anyway, we'll see. The um, yeah, I I was going to say I was going to talk to to Starlin because the story in this involves time travel as well and in a way that we're we're not used to seeing it again uh having talked about that earlier time travel stories need to be a little bit more like this with respect to ramifications i'm binging my way back through uh legends of tomorrow right now and um i think they go like so much the other direction that it doesn't matter you know that right Right. yeah yeah they change history all the time and it doesn't matter um and this one deals with the ramifications of changing history so much so that kang the conqueror is a side character who only gets a couple of panels (laughs) so
0: yeah maybe legends tomorrow could stand to care a little bit more they just don't um which is part of the goofy fun of it but yeah Next yep. up on mine, this isn't really time travel, I guess, but uh, it's immortality. The Immortal Men uh, from DC. This week's entry into the Dark Knight Metal New Age of Heroes, uh, which it's almost like. And I did so. This is, by the way, you know, Jim Lee's book. So I this book has me uh, filled with a little bit of trepidation because I then fear it's going to be constantly late and. Jim Lee, right? beautiful. Yeah, oh, it is. And you know what? And, and to be honest, Jim Lee is not one of my favorite artists but this is a beautiful book and what I also like about it is what DC promised it was going to be. This is a diverse cast and it doesn't feel forced and it's kind of like, and I shouldn't, I don't know why I should, shouldn't should have expected it because of course they are led by the immortal man. The immortal men are kind of like the old DC's Forgotten Heroes, which was a legitimate team that had a logo and everything as Forgotten Heroes. Uh, But the difference with this now is they're all characters nobody knew. So they are all new characters, and they're interesting.
2: One possible uh, exception.
0: Oh, right. I'm sorry, yes. In addition to the Immortal Man himself. And uh, I I know I saw one, too, where you're right, that I... that i saw but i like the concept i am intrigued and i see it Just looks like there's the challengers there on the first page as well and uh, so it'll probably be connected to that and and this is one i think it's interesting that half of these new age of heroes they don't seem to really directly be spinning out of dark knights metal they're just it's an excuse to launch
2: yeah i found i found the um
0: Cause the silencer doesn't seem to be in the curse of Brimstone and you read the other uh, sideways
2: sideways. Yeah.
0: And the the Hulk like character. I Yeah.
2: uh, Damage.
0: Damage. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. uh, There, there is one page that, that is meant to tie this directly into the metal Mm storyline. And I found that incredibly forced and unnecessary.
0: Yeah. I don't need, I, you know, but I get it that, this is the thinking of the industry, and I don't right. know that it's. They had to add something
2: thinking. in there so they could stamp it on the front. Dark Knight's metal. See, so oh, well, it, is
0: well, everybody's supposed to be excited about all these new characters, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is, like I said, I'm, I'm concerned about it staying on time because it's Jim Lee, because he tends to be. Uh, but James Tynan the fourth is the writer on this. It's, it's really well scripted. It's a really cool i, cool idea. And they're kind of revealing this whole conspiracy that we've never seen. Oh, and I should say uh, because it's like page three or four, the Batman who laughs is one of the right. villains of it. That was, yeah. and that's a great, and that's a great time. I don't find that forced. I because, thought that
2: was really forced.
0: No, I, I don't. Mainly because if he stays in this, then okay. that makes sense. That he's been going from world to world. And of all the things that Batman had not thought of, is that there is a, that there is a consistent conspiracy of immortal warriors okay. trying to okay. keep uh, keep eyes. So this is almost like it's something new that this Batman that, has never
2: thought of. I'll, I'll give you that. If he continues to be in the book, I thought that this is like a one and done. I pushed you into this situation, and oh uh, yeah,
0: I no, I understand what you're saying. I think he's going to be continuing, but okay. I would continues. agree with you, he didn't need to have to be he didn't need to be an element in this book,
2: right You've but I didn't find
0: it forced uh, but yeah. if they make him essential, I'd be happy with it because that uh, of the dark batman that they create that they gave us in Dark Knight's metal that's the one that legitimately creeped me out, and <laughs> I thought this is something interesting, so yeah. you know that i d c had announced that they were keeping him. Alive, and we're going to continue him through. So I'm obviously this.
2: So, I'm a so, sucker
0: for team books, and especially team books if they're well done with intriguing characters. And this has all that.
2: So if you if you since you already said it, the Batman who laughs. There's a panel where he's got something in his hand, and I don't know what it is. He's been he's been poking around among the dead, and it looks like one of the, the Robin's tongues, but he's not. I don't know what's going on. Uh,
0: I'm 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 looking for that panel.
2: Um, it's uh it's on on the big page. That he's on with uh in the lower left. It's really creepy. Whatever it is, if it's one of their tongues, oh, that's that's super. Creepy oh yeah,
0: no, yeah. I think that's. I don't think it's one of the crows' tongues. I think it's uh. Because you'll notice in the panel above, he's bending over a
2: couple of corpses. Yeah, so he's I going think into he pulled it back. Maybe yeah. it's a liver. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that's probably what it is. No, yeah. Well, it's only a limit. Well, yeah Don't worry about it.
2: <laughs> so now you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so it's not
0: for little kids. It's not like Sally Fisher. No. 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 All right, so go to your... What's next in your bed?
2: So as I, I told you before, um, Immortal Men was on my stack until we talked before the show because I thought it paired up nicely with a Marvel number one release this week, which was Exiles, which is bringing Black back Bink Blink, blink, bink. Bink. <laughs> You're
0: having trouble with that L. It's like running around, you know, b- bink. black bink.
2: Hmm. Bink had uh, Bink was the main character in Exiles, which was a book that came out in the '90s. I, just, um,
0: I, I loved that book. That just, was a great
2: it was, and is, and looks like they're going to go right back into it again. And, and we mentioned already the uh, the the uh, Legends of Tomorrow. The Exiles are pretty much have the same kind of um, charter where they're going around the multiverse. The multiverse needed needed them again. And so they got Blink and gave her uh, a talisman and then started shunting her through different multiverses to assemble a team. And so um, it's just that straightforward. It's it's not anything you really need to know that much more about other than on the front cover. The front cover, I've had to point this out to a couple people at, at, in comic shops. Um, the there are four characters around her. The one on the left top is iron lad who was in the young Avengers. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's Kang before he became Kang, right? Yes. Or ma- right. Maybe. And, had. and oddly enough, there's one character who has like a swash of white hair in the front of her brunette head, head, and she's wearing the captain Marvel shirt and, um, uh, and, uh, scarf. But, When somebody tries to call her that, she bites their head off, not literally, um, and uh, although she does expose that she has the same power, she says, my name is Khan. And I was like, that was was on a page flip, (laughs) and I'm going, (laughs) Khan! Um, Anyway, there are two other characters that are on this cover that were not in the first issue. And one of which is the new Valkyrie from the movies, right? And I'm I'm hoping that they're somehow going to explain that the movie is another multiverse that she's pulled characters out of because I would just love that. Um, the last one, and I had to point out that this is not a not like a Marvel logo or something. They actually have uh, the baby Wolverine from the from the uh, X Babies who is no, drawn No, it's draw, Scotty
0: Young Wolverine. Is it um, Scotty Young? Okay. Which was from Secret Wars. There was a crossover You're right, the you're right. They did, Young they did bring that in.
2: Okay. So any, but anyway, it's it's a it's a flat style drawing Wolverine character who is yeah. going to be
0: in future issues. And the only but, reason I call it out is that X-Babies was actually legitimate like they were it's True and they, and this
2: is not and uh, I'll I'll withdraw that comment because this is not drawn X-Babies was drawn drawn in a very Comic booky realistic yeah, uh, yeah. way, whereas whereas the Scotty Young is definitely a flat style, um, and I thought this paired nicely with Immortal Men because it's it's a group of heroes being drawn together, chartered to deal with deal with something that is, and with the metal tie in, uh, the Immortal Men have potentially are potentially going to be going into the the DC multiverse now. Mm-hmm. Um, and i so, love
0: exiles i loved it before i can hardly wait for this yeah i forgot to buy it though i shopped uh, at earth 2 today and i always walk. you know i, I walk a fine line because i, I remember have i pulled this at, at elusive comics in santa clara you know <laughs> it's like i don't want to I, I you know i don't want to buy something that i have waiting for me
2: and just for people who are out there thinking about going to get something yeah you know, go look quick because it was sold out in my store i had to go to another store to find well, that uh, might, yeah. not not exiles um uh, Immortal Man, mm. um, yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's great. So my last is uh, you. You brought up a hardcover. I I splurged and I gave into a hardcover today too, which is the Action Comics 80 Years of Superman Deluxe Edition, and I uh, I love this book so so much. Uh, did you Did you buy this? Did you?
2: I had that on my pull list. I didn't see it.
0: Oh. Well, you would have seen it, because it's huge, and uh, it's 30 bucks. But they do something that I didn't expect them to do, which is it's not just Superman stories, because Action didn't just launch Superman. There are many historic uh, stories in the Superman canon that came in Action and are reprinted here, but there's also the first Zatara story and the first Vigilante Oh. So that they include those the cow-
2: the cowboy vigilante. the cowboy
0: vigilante yes right uh, the one I like <laughs> you know the one from seven yeah. the yeah, seven yeah. soldiers of victory and uh, so and and then it's just, just I, you know it had been so long I when I was a kid I didn't get that dollar comic first issue special when they did the oversized action comics reprint so I had never read. You know, I think I would read the story itself originally, like somewhere in a reprint. But to just go through this again, it's a pleasure to. Not only do you have a bunch of historical essays, including by Jules Pfeiffer, who is the man who got me into being a complete Uber nerd because of his book, The Great Comic Book Heroes, in which he had like a bunch of Golden Age stories and then a big long like fifty pages of writing about what comics meant to him as a kid and. You know this uh not only do you get that, but just the energy of of rereading that very first story, which I know was designed as a comic strip originally for Superman, and they couldn 't sell it to a syndicate and they sold it to action comics uh Jerry Siegel and, jo- yeah, uh, and yeah Jerry Siegel and joe Shuster's first story is like there are like four quick quick plots i can't, i can't imagine nineteen thirty eight I kind of put myself in the in the head of a kid picking that up, so much and yet so quickly delineated and and filled. Resolved. Resolved. Yeah. Uh, I, I get it. You know, I mean, here we are. You know, By the time we came around as comics readers, Superman was already... Everybody knew what Superman was. But to have been there in 1938, this must have absolutely been mind-blowing. And then it carries over into the second issue, and they have that story too, and I realize... He's he's making a munitions dealer face the consequences of being a, a, a munitions dealer, and I, I got sad eighty years ago, and this story is just as relevant today. But it could never <laughs> get published. And no, this one did, well, today, yeah, probably not. But I mean, you know, it's essentially Iron Man's origin. But there it is, and you know, there's also in black and white. There's the as the story that they had found by Siegel and Schuster, that had never been colored and had never been published. So there's a brand-new story by them. And then you, and then as you move forward, and I'm realizing – I start getting into – which reminds me of that book. Did you ever have that hardcover of the Superman from the 30s to the 70s? They would sell it like Walden books.
2: I don't think I ever had that one.
0: Oh, my gosh, no? Oh, You've you got to find those. Uh, there's a Superman one, a Batman one, and a Shazam one. and And so I had that as a kid, too, and read all these – you know, stories forward and you start but, but now it's like going forward and it starts getting into eras where I was buying comics and I had to, you know, it's like, oh, I had this issue uh-huh. and, and there's Gil Kane and there's Kurt Swan and there's a little bit of, looks like, you know, Legion of, uh, uh, no, Legion doesn't show up, but there's Supergirl, there's Brainiac, uh, you get to Gil Kane, you get to a uh, story, remember John Byrne, there's some stuff from Man of Steel. And and then uh, the reveal of when Lois discuss when he revealed to Lois that he was Superman, and then it just it, it's which just, time? Uh, no, the the well <laughs> the one that stuck <laughs> the the one that stuck. Yes, you know okay. the, uh, that I remember having, and then uh, there's like an Action Comics the anniversary issue for I guess it was 700, which is just all star artists, and it's. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, they had to reprint this story with so many beautiful Bill Sienkiewicz's in there, and uh, you know, I'll just keep raving, uh, but, you know, it's 30 bucks, it's pricey, but it's gorgeous, and it's, uh, it leads I'm really bummed to I didn't get that today. And hmm. in, 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 it leads into next week is Action Comics 1000, which will be $8, yeah. and we'll feature a bunch of things, and, uh, you know, Brad Meltzer posted on Facebook today, he's like, here's the first panel of my story with John Cassidy, and it's just Superman's hands as he's flying, you know, from Superman's point of view. And I'm just, you tease. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, it was a good, you know, it's not even in my regular comic shop. I found so much good stuff that I hadn't even thought, I better have this in my pull list, you know, and and so I was really, really, really pleased. Although, you know, yeah, I did spend 30 bucks on an Action Comics hardcover. But, it's worth it. I'm gonna just love this and have this for you know my son to read and and to say like this is why Superman. He gets to read it at the God, table so with
2: the white reading gloves. Oh no,
0: absolutely, absolutely <laughs> in the hermetically sealed room, and then yeah. I slowly uh, leak the oxygen out if he gets if he gets snippy with me. So yeah, <laughs> uh, let's, let's go to movies, shall we? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I sound like I'm abusing my child. I'm not. It's all a lie. I do it for your entertainment, people. Uh, that uh, you know, this this past weekend, of course, a, a horror film that I, I saw. I mixed emotions about. Open a quiet place which uh, John Krasinski from The Office, which the poor guy will always be known as that as Jim Halpert from The Office. But he directed and uh, co-wrote this screenplay. A nifty horror film, but he was giving an interview with The Nerdist and he offered up a casting suggestion for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which actually I think is really good, even though he admitted something else. Uh, he would like to play Mr. Fantastic and have his wife Emily Blunt play The Invisible Woman. He thinks that would be great, great casting. Though he admits he hasn't ever read an issue of Fantastic Four.
2: He's I only think- seen the movies?
0: Uh, I think he's only aware of the characters and seeing okay. that he could fit... I don't know. He's probably Well, there have been
2: cartoon movie. shows. Uh-uh.
0: Could be. Could be. You know, and that's it. We are, you know... Let's admit it. They, you know, that's why we cover movies in TV, too. There are people that are huge fans of these characters without ever having read the comics. And so... You, you, well, I don't know if the, if the cartoons were ever that good. Well, the Hanna-Barbera one was. The first one. And, uh, you know, so... Now,
2: and, I'd like and, to... I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see John Krasinski, ah, Krasinski. John Krasinski in a movie with Zachary Levi. I think they they could be cast as brothers really easily.
0: Now, well, and Zachary Levi is getting a superhero movie because he is, of course, Shazam. So, Krasinski yeah. should get to play Mister Fantastic. I mean, if they are going to reboot, and of course you are, uh, they are. Um, I, let's go back to the idea of them being fully formed adults. And, you know, we've yeah. seen them as kids. We've seen all the different incarnations of them getting together. Yeah. I, I still think, especially with the time, the time stone uh, in play in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and not knowing what Infinity War is going to do, uh, and maybe Secret Invasion is going to be what, you know, the next, what Avengers 4 will be. But I think since they've leaped around in time, Captain Marvel's going to be the 90s. I think you can go ahead and play Fantastic Four as sort of time lost heroes yeah. that they were there in the '60s, and then you can see them come forward in time and take their place. Uh, but as as older heroes, and when I say older, I mean Trzewinski still you know probably early to mid '30s, uh, yeah. but certainly older than what they last time last were in when in the Fox film. So. I, I I think it's it's cool casting, and of course you'll be happy that Daniel Craig has confirmed he's getting ready to play James Bond again, and uh, that that's going to be his next film, though it's still untitled, and I don't think it has a director yet, but uh, maybe John Krasinski can do it, yeah. and uh, and Dwayne Johnson has said that Black Adam should be ramping up for a 2019 release, although I think more I think he means a production because 2019 yeah. is when Shazam will come out in February. Uh, yeah. of 2019, so you got to let that ha- resonate just a little bit. Uh, and so while we're on DC, there's the thing. is like I still don't get where their plan is going. Batgirl had been canceled, or I shouldn't say canceled. Joss Whedon had been hired to dir- write and direct Batgirl. He walked away from the project nobly because inexplicably he said he really could not come up with a story. Which Gail Simone is over there waving her hands, going, "I've got plenty." There were yeah. plenty of things you could have done, exactly. uh, and uh, you know. And I, I think, well, why not let Gail Simone take a crack at writing a script? But instead, they got Christina Hodson, who is writing the Bumblebee Transformers solo film. Uh, she wrote that, and uh, so she was announced this week as being the new screenwriter of Batgirl. So the project's not dead. Interestingly enough, she had also written the Birds of Prey script. Which was kind of unrelated to Batgirl, so hmm. I'm not sure if Batgirl would wish you, we. I got to think again. Uh, the birds of prey are Catwoman. No, not Catwoman. Huntress, Black Canary, and Oracle. That's why. So probably yes. not. But they're. Pro- but it's probably not Oracle. Well, maybe, maybe,
2: you know who knows? They've they've switched around. I mean, if you talk just about the TV show, then yeah, it was Oracle. It was Oracle uh,
0: Huntress and Huntress and, and, uh, and, uh, and Black, Canary. Black Canary's daughter. Because yeah. the original Black Canary showed up. Uh, right. Lori Laughlin played her. And they were facing off against Dr. Quinzel. It was only yes. subtly Harley Quinn throughout. You can only tell right. in her sweaters. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway, I, I did. I watched every episode of that show. Oh, it was a good show. It was an okay show. It, yeah, it, had a great, it had a great beginning, and it had an okay ending. And it was in the middle. There were highs and lows, as there often are. So...
2: I, for taking um, some non A-list cartoon uh, comic book characters and making a decent TV show at that time, that was that was pretty amazing.
0: And essentially beginning with the Killing Joke, yeah, that was astounding. And uh, the yeah, I guess the uh, spoiler, you know, the 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 problem with that show was that the specter of Batman loomed over it so large, and. The, then they implied at the end that Batman was fine and could have shown up at any time and just chose not to. That was a cheat to to audiences. But yeah. uh, but uh, I think you can find it on I, somebody's got to be streaming it. I think Comic Con HQ was showing was streaming it for a while, and I know you can find oh. the DVD because I have the DVD. So uh, the DVD set, it's it's fun. But that's TV. Let's get to also what came out this week was the new solo trailer
2: which sort of
0: makes me want to watch solo. Yes. Uh, It was the best trailer yet.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Mostly for Chewie. Let's admit it. Let's just.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's the, uh, it's, it's a story where they're not already a couple, you know? And so you let to, you get to see some rough edges and, um, all those scenes in the, I, I'm looking forward to a, a good uh, explanation of how Han won the Millennium Falcon out of this.
0: I think the most fascinating thing about watching the trailer for me, which you can watch on, on Fanboy Planet if you have not already, the most fascinating thing for me was it was the first time that I thought, oh, I was actually a little disappointed to think that this is a one-off series, uh, one-off right. movie, that, right. oh, I would have been more fascinated now by a, not necessarily a young Han Solo, but certainly you could throw Donald Glover into a young Lando Calrissian, but really, that there's an area that the movies have never explored, is the underworld of the yeah. Empire. And again, and we've talked about that before a little bit, but it's a, that could be an interesting series to go off to the side. You've got, you've got some, you've got, they're facing a crime lord, not the Emperor, they're facing a crime lord. Right. So let's deal with that. Let's bring Prince Sizer back into continuity and back into the canon and bring in the Black Sun, the, the mafia of the Empire. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And and it's something they've done in some of the novels and short stories yeah. and um, some of the books, the comics. Yeah. It's the yeah. first
0: one that has shown me the potential for it to be something other than about Star Wars.
2: Yeah. It's the and same thing where I, I wanted I've always wanted Paramount or whoever owned the franchise at the time to take the Star ne- Trek universe. Oh Star Trek, yes, yes, okay. And do a do a ship that's not part of the Federation, you know, a private ship, uh, you know, do Serenity in the Star Trek universe kind of thing. Um which I would I I would love that i mean you've got a fully realized universe you can have them run in with star trek start the start with uh, the federation and mm-hmm. um and you know there's going to be some overtones uh, in this book and this movie of uh there's something evil happening in the uh republic um well you know i mean that's the
0: thing is we've, we've, we've been so focused in and, and i think you when you like i'm enjoying in comics right now the thron book yeah because it's sort of yeah i know what's going on. i mean he is part of the imperial fleet but but just a reminder that there are a lot of people for whom probably the truth about politics in general you know they're just living day to day the yeah. problems they're facing isn't who's in charge it's who's Who's robbing them? Who's Who's not? You know, where's the gainful employment? Which I do think the Last Jedi kind of kind of started to talk about again with the hey the arms dealers the munitions thing and saying like you know there's a whole bunch of people in there that are just crushed under this that have nothing to do with rebellion they have nothing to do with with the Empire or the First Order they're just trying to live and I think this is the first movie that's showing me that. There's a piece of that that could be make a compelling film. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to there. I did, and I do want to call out. I was so thrilled to see that Terry Gilliam's, even though Terry Gilliam has said some very stupid things publicly in the last few weeks, but that the man who killed Don Quixote is actually there. You know, there's a trailer. It Doesn't mean necessarily. Uh, uh-huh. I don't believe that film exists until I've actually watched it a couple of times. First time I might have dreamed it after I watched the documentary Lost in La Mancha, which I really recommend if you've never watched that, go back and watch it. Which the first time he tried to make it uh, with Johnny Depp, and now it's with. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about Star Wars. Adam Driver and Jonathan Price as Don Quixote, and so finally, finally, the film allegedly exists. So I'm excited there. And in, in line with our uh, yeah you're driver, say,
2: Driver's playing Sancho Panza. Yeah. Only
0: it's, it's more a guy who's not really Sancho Panza. I, I think the script changed. Originally in the Johnny Depp version, there was time travel involved. Like okay. he was an accountant that went back in time and got st- stuck there. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's still legitimately what was going on. I think they watch the documentary, Lost in La Mancha, the, the potential of just what a weird vision of that story was going to happen. It, it, it's it, it's tragic. And the movie itself is an incredibly compelling documentary and a compelling story that makes you think. Hmm, you know, maybe Terry Gilliam is cursed. <laughs> it's just like you get to this point, and now we finally see it. So let's get to TV. I don't want kind to of rush it because it's getting a little late for, for yeah, here. Yeah. Is uh, Apple TV? We've talked about how Amazon was thrown in with Lord of the Rings. Uh, what did they buy? Last? Oh, that uh, the Chinese trilogy, the three yeah. body,
2: three body uh, problem.
0: Yeah, three-body problem.
2: It's actually a different. The trilogy has a different name. That's the name of the first book.
0: Well, you know, we said it's a game of three bodies. What the title will be? Uh, <laughs> and the, but Apple has been making noise that they were going to get into production, and they just went big, and they bought the rights to Foundation, so uh, the Isaac Asimov. I say originally trilogy, right? But now it's a you – know, I think that ultimately ended up being six books and then crossed over with other series and became massive. So I'm not sure how massive it is. But just filming Foundation and uh, the original trilogy would be massive as oh, a yeah. series. So th- that's a pretty big investment. And which, by the way, I just mentioned Lord of the Rings. We talked about the, three, the three-bodied problem. The rights to that costing Amazon a a billion, and they've said the same thing now about Lord of the Rings that it's going to be at least a billion dollar budget. And that's insane. It's a series, but
2: that's. No, the series title is The Remembrance of Earth's Past.
0: Okay, there we go. Oh, it's got Proust. Okay. And we were just talking about Star Trek, and uh, I think probably the show closest to what you're describing might Uh have been Star Trek Discovery. This
2: season, definitely.
0: Which added in. uh, Which is added in, and now I know the twist, right? Uh, Or a twist at the season ender that they cast Captain Pike, Christopher Pike. uh, So they're going to bring the Enterprise in, though they promise that Discovery will remain the focus. Uh, And it's interesting. I like to do this. I research uh, interviews from before and during production. Before this series launched, they said no way was Enterprise going to show up, and despite Michael Burnham being the foster sister of Mr. Spock, there was no way Mr. Spock would ever appear, even though they'd cast Sarek. And now new showrunners are in, and they're going, yeah, we might cast a Spock. It's not out of the question. And if you've got the Enterprise, and you've got Captain Pike, you've got to have Spock. And the reason I say that is because that novel, Desperate Hours, by David Mack, is... Burnham and Spock coming to grips with their different time uh, being the children of Sarek. And they definitely know each other. They definitely encounter each other. And Spock is definitely serving on the Enterprise. So if they go further uh, with the Enterprise, there's going to be a Spock. Now, the guy Cass is, of course, uh, and why am I blanking on his name now? But uh, the guy who played just played Black Bolt in Inhumans. I believe he was free to explore other roles, and uh, so because I, Inhumans is is not coming back for a second season on ABC, but he will now be. And I I think he bears a pretty good resemblance to Jeffrey Hunter, who was the original, right? Uh, Al
2: Anson Mount.
0: Anson Mount, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, that he 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 looks more like uh, Jeffrey Hunter. Than Bruce Greenwood does.
2: He does. He does. Um, the sh- the short haircut doesn't hurt. Uh,
0: no. No. I. I but... So it's an interesting casting. I, I. I've got nothing against any cast member of Inhumans. Uh, all been great in other shows, and so I think uh, it's a it's a it's a great choice. And almost enough to get me to subscribe. We'll see. I do want to acknowledge that this is sort of this is mainly TV. But just uh, last week, we lost a guy who changed television, which was uh, producer, show creator Stephen Bochco, who did, of course, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, and uh, the science fiction series Cop Rock, in which, of course, police for uh, police and, and the people on the streets would break into Randy Newman songs from time to time. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, an, it, in, it, it, an infamous experiment that was ahead of its time. As was the other one. I was thinking about this. Uh, did you watch Murder One?
2: No, I did not.
0: Oh my heavens! That was uh, that was a show, truly, truly ahead of its time because it was a serialized. Each season, and I think it only lasted two, unfortunately. But the first season was one murder case, one murder trial, and uh, it introduced kind of really to mainstream Stanley Tucci, a great actor who shows up all over the place now but that was his first big role uh, in which he himself as the, as the murder defendant from episode that he as an actor did not know whether he was guilty or not.
2: I was listening to an NPR um, thing on Bochco and it reminded me so much of the things I've loved about his shows, starting with Hill Street Blues where, where that was really the first show where people, characters that people loved, and were pretty high profile could die in an instant there was really a sense yeah. of mor- mortality in hill street blues that you you got the feeling this must really but it was like when you're putting your life on the line every day out there on the street um and the other thing was that bochko wanted to they were they were competing with cable television at the time and <laughs> bochko wanted to put more adult matter into the show so he he actually campaigned to get the 10 o'clock slot so he was he was able at that time to write things that he couldn't have written at like eight or nine o'clock. Well, I'm uh, saying
0: he did the same thing with NYPD Blue. Yeah. Yes, that they were competing with HBO and nudity was creeping in, so he got bare butts. Now I don't know if that was a yep. step forward for commercial television, but
2: no, it was he, a had of shows. he had bare butts. He had Dennis France was naked from the back in Hill Street Blue. No, a pretty.
0: No, that was NYPD Blue. Was it? Yeah.
2: Oh. I forgot that character carried over to that no, one. No, it's
0: not the same character, same actor.
2: Same actor. No fr- uh, but he was
0: Norman uh, Bunce in in uh Hill Street Blues because oh, he look, had a, a spin off called a very short lived spin off called Beverly Hills Bunce. And then Sipowit and then he was Andy Sipowitz in NYPD Blue.
2: Oh, okay. No, Sipowitz was one where he did break out break out yeah. into another show. Yeah. Yeah, no trust me. That I, was, I know the so. But that I think, was a character had a had a uh, had a lot of character development.
0: What a great arc. What a great arc. Yeah. I love that and I I miss that actor. I know he's around and uh, yes. you know, he just hasn't done much lately and uh, he was great. But the other reason why he why Botchko really ties into Fanboy Planet Do was you know, sir? No. He was one of three credited screenwriters on Silent Running. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Science fiction classic with Bruce Dern. Yep. And I had never made that connection until the... Obix Ecological started.
2: Uh,
0: uh, parable. And one of those, you know, uh, by one of two films directed by Douglas Trumbull. Yeah. And so, who was also one of the screenwriters. And, uh, yeah, just really fascinating movie. I think the first PG movie I ever saw. In a double feature with Mary Poppins, yeah. brilliantly
2: a cast a bunch of um, amputees to be, robots. be the droids to be the yeah.
0: uh, Huey Dewey and Louie, and yeah. you know that that movie was very effective. And it's one of those I'd like to revisit. As every time, every day, I feel like I read a headline where I'm like, "Oh, which early '70s sociologically <laughs> aware sci-fi film is this calling for?" I just saw something that was bringing up uh, not so angry, but the book it was based on, Harry Harrison's. Uh, Make room, make room. Make make room, room. You know, and uh, yeah, because of some housing solutions that certain cities we may or may not live in uh, hmm. are about to pursue. And I thought, wait a minute, isn't that one of the elements of make room, make room? And uh, so, but anyway, I just want to acknowledge Bachko, who definitely, you know, not only did he change television, but there it was. There was the sci fi connection. And I would never have thought of that because, yes, yeah, this Doogie Hauser, that's more of a fantasy. Also, a great John Ritter series called Hooperman. You know, he was pioneering kind of this idea of doing dramedies in half hours and concepts that you would think oh is more sitcommy, but Doogie Hauser was a really good show. It yeah. wasn't a comedy. I mean it was funny at times, but you know, it was a it was a it was a great show. So anyway, say that. And that's all we got for this week. Thanks for listening. And of course, uh, if we've talked about anything on this podcast that you believe you would like to uh, uh, you know own for yourself that you can legally and you can't find it at your local brick and mortar store. you can go to the Amazon link that is on each and every fanboy planet page and that search box will will take you through and we get a small kickback from that as well as of course we're affiliated with think geek which always has new deals every week and plenty of geeky stuff so please check that out they've got a new summer swimwear collection that is very (laughs) sci-fi oriented we have the ad up i yeah i just kind of i'm like yeah but i kind of do like that
2: which did you buy
0: uh, Star Trek swim trunks of course I, you know <laughs> okay. I, I tend to default to Star Trek from Thinky because it's just cool you know that's the stuff that I wanted as a kid and they could never get so anyway of course there's that and and if you just like to uh, donate to help defray the cost of the hosting of the website and the in the podcast that is of course uh, you can go to PayPal and editor at fanboyplanet.com. and if you have any questions comments compliments commentary criticism. Right in, as you saw, you, you heard at the beginning of this podcast, we had a letter from Chris Buckley. So, you know, I, I do like to get that that feedback. And, and
2: we okay. read your letters. We
0: do, we do. So we read write your mail. Editor at FanboyPlanet com. You can also, of course, communicate via. Uh, you can join us on the fa- on the Facebook page, which is Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at Fanboy Planet, and we've also got Instagram. At Fanboy Planet, so it's really simple because I, I need to be able to remember all the different accounts, and that if it's just one name, it's good. So, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com,
2: and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, Reminding you to use your, use your powers, powers for good. For good.